Welcome to the Trusted Advisor Podcast brought to you by Iroquois Group. Iroquois is your trusted advisor in all things insurance. This week, you're listening to the special segment of Charlie's Corner, hosted by our very own Charlie Venus. This edition of Charlie's Corner is a two-part series with experts from Excess Brokers. Make certain to catch both. Welcome to our Trusted Advisor Podcast. Today, we have Brendan Nolte of Excess Brokers, who is the Vice President and Division Leader of their Property Brokerage Unit. We're going to cover the issues in the habitational marketplace, specifically relating to condos and apartments. Welcome, Brendan. So, Brendan, can you give us an overview of what's going on in the property insurance marketplace as a whole, and then kind of get specifics on you know, some things you're seeing on the habitational side. Yeah, absolutely. So as far as from an ENS landscape, the, the property market continues to harden the vast majority of the country. Um, some areas of the country are uh, quicker to harden than others. For example, New England seems to be lagging behind other parts of uh, the country like California or the Southeast. And then you obviously have your tough states like Texas and Florida that continue to be you know, some, seeing some higher rates. Um, so overall, I think the property landscape is continuing to harden. Um, and that's driven mostly by your attritional loss history over the last few years, whether it's from the wildfires in California to the flooding in Houston a few years ago. You obviously still have your hurricanes and tropical storms that ravaged the Southeast and Florida. And then most recently, you have the pipe burst claims down in Texas during that spell of uh, cold weather. So um, a lot of that is leading into what we're seeing now. Um, admitted markets are still uh, picking their spots when it comes to uh, some of those softer occupancies, especially in your not cat driven areas. Uh, for example, the New England territory, we're still seeing some of the players come in and offer terms on your condos and, and things that have some good loss history and not necessarily right on the beach. But to speak specifically to the HAB market, I mean, historically habitational from a property standpoint is one of the industry loss leaders. You know, for condos, you see your ice dam claims, your water damage claims on a, a for each unit. Um, and then apartments, you have your standard kitchen fires, your grease fires, your tenant leaves a candle burning and uh, you have those fires as well as uh, a tenant might leave for the weekend and, and turn off the heat. We're definitely seeing for the most part habitational uh, leading the way on this hardening market and most carriers driving rate. Um, they're picking and choosing and being more selective, which accounts they're looking to take a shot at. Um, we're seeing a lot of the older frame and hab becoming tougher and tougher to the place. Um, for the nature of the fact that it's frame and jam construction, which obviously most carriers are looking for the better construction. So we're seeing rates going up, carriers are limiting their lines of business. So in past, perhaps they'd put up the full limit and now they're doing a primary. Um, and so we're looking to have to layer deals more often than we, we would have a few years ago. Again, I mentioned they're being more picky. They're not necessarily offering all the bells and whistles. Uh, on all these accounts and deductibles seem to be increasing as well. Let's go back. You talked about the Texas water damage claims and the pipe bursting claims. What have you seen from a rate response standpoint since that uh, freezing down there in Texas? It's still relatively recent. So as far as the rates sort of following suit, um, I think you're going to continue to see that over the next few months. Definitely carriers are trying to make up for the losses that they had in Texas, as an example. Um, so rates are increasing. 
you, what you're seeing is they're trying to get rates across the board. So even in a place like I keep saying New England, but New England doesn't necessarily have massive cap losses, but they're still trying to get the rate there to make up for some of the losses they've seen in other parts of the country. Uh, what we're also seeing as a result of the Texas water damage losses is carriers are potentially putting up higher water damage deductibles. Maybe they're sublimiting water damage and sprinkler leakage to, you know, let's say 250,000, half a million, depending on the size of the account. Now, from an market standpoint, who are the admitted players in this industry, in the HAB marketplace? They're starting to, to dwindle, as, as you might expect, in coming into a hardening market. I mean, the, the market hardens as a result of what the admitted carriers want to stay on and, and what they want to consider. You know, one that just pops to mind is, is Philly. We do see them still on quite a few of these condo risks. Um, some of them with some loss history, not nothing, any, not necessarily anything crazy, but Philly is an example uh, of one. Um, and then your likes of the standard travelers, um, Acadia, things like that, we're still seeing out in the marketplace. And historically, there have been quite a few program markets out there for habitational risk. Are those still around? Are those dwindling as well? And who are those main program players? Two that come to mind is um, Strata in uh, the Midwest and uh, the Plains, and then Skinner, which we see quite a bit in the Northeast. You know, those programs certainly follow the marketplace in that they're seeing the same sort of loss results that mirror what most carriers are seeing. So with them, they're trying to do the exact same thing. They're trying to drive up rate, increase deductibles. For the most part, what we see though, is those programs are so still to this day underpriced that even if they take large rate increases, in some cases, 50%, a lot of the times we're still finding that even with the increase, they're still under where your traditional brokerage carriers are going to be. And when you're talking about rate level, if you're doing, you know, specifically on frame and joisted masonry, what you would consider the normal rate levels for those classes of construction? Not necessarily a broad brush stroke on this, but, you know, we're typically seeing most frame and JM starting in the high 30s at best if something is a you know has great loss history in a good part or a good area but for the most part I'm seeing them start out in the four, low 40 cent range you know again depending on the size of the account we're finding ourselves on the larger schedules whether it's a dwelling schedule or perhaps one building typically when you get in excess of 10 million in values and higher uh, we're seeing that for the most part we're having to layer them. So maybe a carrier will come in and do a two and a half or five mil primary, and then you can build the tower from there. So I would say as kind of a rough starting point, I'd say in the low 40 cent range is a good starting point right now. And some of your better in class, cleaner accounts. Are you seeing much on the higher end construction or most of what you see is on the frame and joist and masonry side? We do see uh, a good mix of, of everything dependent on the, the area of the country. You know, the Northeast, as I keep mentioning, is an older part of the country. So it's very, very common to see your older construction, your 1900 builds, early 1900s. You know, so most carriers, and it's common in, in, in this part of the country, they're going to look for good updates. So the year built isn't necessarily going to drive them away, as long as we can clearly show that they've undergone some significant upgrades. Most carriers are going to look for, if wherever possible, complete gut rehabs, and definitely a new roof is, is key. Um, when you go to other parts of the country, for example, Florida, um, those are definitely newer construction. It's much more rare 
to see uh, frame and JM. Most of the time, it's it's just better construction, just given where it is. But older parts of the United States, you're seeing uh, a lot more of those older frame and JM. We all know water damage claims are just uh, such a big issue on the habitational side. What are you seeing in terms of the water damage deductibles for apartments and condos? For condos in particular, we're seeing a lot of carriers that have had the history doing going to a per unit water damage deductible with maybe a minimum per occurrence. So for example, you have a condo association, maybe they'll do a, a 10,000 per unit water damage deductible subject to, you know, sometimes a 25 or 50,000 per occurrence minimum. Um, something that might have had some claims, they might do the same 10,000 per unit, but they'll bump their minimum per occurrence to let's say 100,000. The apartments mostly aren't, at least that I see, aren't necessarily doing a per unit. Maybe they'll do a 25,000 per occurrence water damage deductible. Um, I'm not necessarily seeing carriers just throw them on there on clean accounts for the most part. Typically is being added if they have a loss history of water damage claims. Um, and most carriers, you know, if they have a freak loss uh, and they have clean loss history for the last five years and they had one pop, aren't necessarily going to hold that too much against them. It's the frequency issues that most carriers are looking out for. And what about some of these units in terms of getting adequate ordinance or law coverage limits? Is that a challenge? So ordinance of law is dependent on, again, the part of the country and the age of the buildings. You know, your newer construction and your better construction, I think more carriers are more lenient into offering ordinance or law. When you get into those older construction, again, what we see a lot of in the Northeast is your 1900. If you can show that you have something with a complete gut rehab within the last, let's call it 15 to 20 years, I think that carriers are willing to add it. Um, if you have something that's super, super old and spotty updates, most carriers are going to be reluctant to add ordinance or law um, just because of the claim payout that could potentially happen in the event of a loss. And what about any other coverage enhancements, uh, you know, water backup, sewer backup, any of those issues that similar problems from a coverage standpoint? Your top of class accounts, I think carriers are still trying to get as aggressive as possible. They're trying to gobble up the good clean accounts and they're willing to put on a lot of those ancillary coverages like your property enhancements. Equipment breakdown, most carriers they'll add for an additional premium on a lot of the accounts. But as far as your water backup, a lot of carriers have uh, their own either proprietary forms for the enhancements that add some uh, water backup, your accounts receivable, things along those lines. Um, when you get into your tougher accounts, they might be reluctant to add them or they won't just throw them in unless asked for. And typically, you know, they want some sort of reasoning as to why is it going to be a deal breaker? Are we up against some competition that has this um, that we need to be comparable in coverage. And what's your ability to provide flood and earthquake when it's needed? So depending on the carrier and the area, every carrier is going to model for both. So it's contingent on their own modeling and their appetites as to what they're finding acceptable from a flood zone, as well as earthquake. Um, you know, up in this part of the country in New England, carriers are more willing to offer earthquake versus perhaps California, where it's much more of a the driving factor behind a risk. Um, same with flood. It's all contingent on the area and, and their flood mapping. 
in a space where we don't have a carrier that will necessarily want to offer the flood or quake coverage, we always have monoline options that can go and get a monoline DIC quote. Uh, and backtracking a little bit to the water damage claims, you know, there's new technology out there with all the water flow alarms and, you know, you can get messages to your mobile device. Are you seeing more risk that are using that kind of technology? And is there any demand for the carriers for the the risk to be using that technology? It's a great question because historically, I have not seen those brought up very often until most recently. And again, I think the, the Texas situation is certainly sort of sparking that conversation to be had. I haven't personally seen many carriers making that a requirement, although I do have a feeling that that's probably in the pipeline, uh, especially with accounts that have had some water damage claims. Um, I did run into an account recently where they did have a water damage claim. And as far as preventative measures taken to prevent from happening again, that was one of the things that the insured was going to do was to add um, exactly what you mentioned, those sort of indicators uh, with regards to the piping. So if you were going to make a general recommendation to all of the agents out there in terms of putting together a submission that they're sending to you so you can get the best deal possible for them. What kind of information do you need and what's critical and what is really good to have in terms of making the sale? It's a situation where the more information is always better. Most markets are going to want to know why it's coming to ENS, whether or not it's being non-renewed from a mitted carrier because of change in, in guidelines or appetite or coastal proximity, uh, or in most cases due to losses. Um, so the first thing is just to know who is the incumbent? Uh, are they getting off? If not, what's the renewal pricing going to look at? Um, just so we have an idea of sort of a SPAC story as to why we're seeing it. And then your common cope information as far as your building details, your construction, your built square footage, building updates, as I mentioned, is super key, especially on any of the older uh, buildings. Um, your type of occupancy, if it's habitational in particular, which I know we're speaking of, you know, just to know the occupancy percentage is key. And loss history, loss runs don't necessarily needed to submit out to a market per se, but if they have had any claims, we need to know of them confirm all damages have been repaired, and then what preventative steps the insured has taken to try to mitigate these or prevent them from happening again. Do you see much restriction on the condo side, just in terms of what percentage of those units are owner-occupied versus rental units? All contingent on the carriers. I would say if there's a sort of just a a, a rough idea, most carriers want at least 80%, give or take, of owner-occupancy. You know, when you have anything that's more than that, that's rented, they almost think of them as apartment units. Um, and I'm sure it's the same way on the casualty side. I'd say it's just kind of a rough idea. They're looking for about 80% owner-occupied. You know, when you get into your some of your seasonal areas, whether it's the Jersey Shore or uh, the Cape or the islands, um, they're going to want to know, even if they're owner-occupied, are they, are they being rented out seasonally? Uh, and if so, who's responsible for the rental? Is it the association? Are they doing it on, you know, an Airbnb or VRBO, or are the unit owners just renting them out themselves? Now, what are you seeing in terms of reconstruction costs? I mean, I, I was reading just in the last 10 days that a single family home, the cost of construction just because of the price of wood has increased $25,000 per home. 
So when you're looking at these, you know, frame and joisted masonry apartment complexes and condos, what is that doing to the reconstruction cost? So it's relatively new with regards to obviously the cost of lumber increasing. On our side as a broker, we don't run replacement cost estimators just because it becomes an E&O issue. So we don't necessarily specify as to what the replacement cost should be. My recommendation to any retailer is to run a replacement cost estimator on their end. Uh, Marshall Swift is, a, is one that comes to mind. There are a few others that are similar to that, you know, to get the true reconstruction cost because they're all contingent on the area, obviously the construction itself and the year built. So it's hard for us as a broker to necessarily narrow it down because we don't run the replacement cost estimators on our side. Uh, but to your point, you know, within the last few months or so, I have seen an increase in lumber costs. So I'm assuming that that's being factored in with regards to the reconstruction costs, although it's likely going to be temporary. So I'm not sure if claims adjusters are going to necessarily look to, for this period of time, uh, your costs are going to be higher and then it's going to go back to where it was. I think it's there's more to be seen on that and how it's going to ultimately affect the reconstruction costs. Now, anything else that it's important for agents to know in terms of the what's going on in the habitational marketplace from the property perspective? Unfortunately, I've had plenty of these conversations with agents and just given what's happened over the last 12 to 18 months, um, they're on the front lines dealing with their insureds directly. And unfortunately, right now, they're uh, essentially the bearer of bad news in a lot of ways because rates are increasing and terms are becoming more uh, tightened and deductibles are increasing. And unfortunately, it's not necessarily a, a part on an individual account. You might have an insured that's been loss free for five years and nothing's changed. Why is their rate all of a sudden increasing? It's a byproduct of the marketplace as a whole. And you know, a lot of these carriers have been hit with some claims over the last few years, again, whether it's the wildfires in California to the cat exposure in the Southeast to the Houston water damage. So even though a particular account might be loss free or the area of the country is relatively free of these catastrophic events, carriers have to make up for the losses in some way. And in a lot of cases are trying to drive rate across the board. So my message in as simple as possible is be prepared. You know, as a broker, it's our job to scour the marketplace to try to find the best and most competitive pricing in terms possible. But even with that, we are at the mercy of the marketplace and where the true what what the carriers are looking for. And unfortunately, that might not be the same as what they were previously paying. And there, there could potentially be changes as a result. Thanks, Brendan. Next week, we will continue the conversation in part two with Sean McVicker on general liability and umbrella liability issues. Thanks for listening to this edition of Charlie's Corner, brought to you by Iroquois Group. I am Edwin K. Morris, and I invite you to join us for the next edition of the Trusted Advisor Podcast. <laughs>